On this week's edition of New York Now, a bill that would ban wildlife killing contests has passed the state legislature, but there's some confusion over the bill. We'll break it down with Brian Shapiro, New York State Director of the Humane Society of the United States. And later, healthcare is expensive, and so is health insurance. We'll dive into the industry with Eric Linzer from the New York Health Plan Association. I'm Dan Clark, and this is New York Now. Today, the Senate majority Welcome to this week's edition of New York Now. I'm Dan Clark. It's the middle of August, which means we're about five months out from next year's legislative session. And if you're not keeping track, we're about two months out from the end of the last one. And it was a big one. Lawmakers from both chambers passed 896 bills this year. Though, believe it or not, that's actually less than last year when they passed 1,009 bills, which was the most passed in a legislative session in New York in at least two decades. We checked. Some years, but not all, lawmakers will make a special trip to Albany outside session to pass a few bills if they feel they have a good reason. Like last year, when lawmakers came back to Albany to pass new gun laws after the U.S. Supreme Court struck down the state's concealed carry statute. But this year, that doesn't look likely, at least for right now. Some have called on the legislature to return to Albany for a whole host of reasons, including the state's migrant crisis. But Speaker Carl Hasty told reporters in Albany this week that there are no plans to return, saying the federal government should be playing a larger role in managing the crisis. But I think right now, the, you know, the state and, and particularly the, you know, the city of New York uh, just trying to play catch up. And as every time I've had an opportunity to be asked the question, about this crisis, I think uh, we really do need help from the federal government. There's, there's no way the state is going to be able to financially uh, uh, deal with this, uh, uh, um, the migrant crisis without federal intervention. And we'll hear more from Speaker Hasty when he joins us on next week's show. But for this week's show, we wanted to dive into a few issues we don't usually cover. One of them is health insurance, which we'll get to a little later. But first, we're gonna talk about wildlife killing contests in New York. If you live in a city, you probably don't know about this. And honestly, a lot of people in rural areas might not either. And for obvious reasons, I'm not gonna show any visuals of this for our viewers sensitive to violence. But every year in New York, there are contests held around the state to kill wildlife. And no, we're not talking about regular hunting, where you go out for a day, maybe with a few friends during the regular hunting season. These are contests, sometimes with prizes, where the goal is often to kill the most animals, or a certain kind of animal. And for the past several years, lawmakers who oppose those contests have tried to pass a bill that would ban them. And this year, that finally happened. So now it's up to Governor Kathy Hochul to either sign the bill and ban the contests or veto it and keep them going. But there's also been a lot of misinformation about the bill, with critics saying it targets hunting writ large. It does not, by the way and we'll add a link to the bill on our website in case you wanna read it yourselves. But we also wanted to go deeper and explain how the bill would work and what it would actually do. So this week, we turned to Brian Shapiro, New York State Director of the Humane Society of the United States, to learn more. Brian, thank you so much for being here, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Dan. Of course, anytime. So these wildlife killing contests are not new in New York. And this bill is also not new in right. New York. It's been around for at least a few years now. 
but it passed both chambers this year, meaning it now goes to Governor Kathy Hochul. Was there anything this year that you think prompted the bill to finally gain enough support to pass? I think there's two factors in it seeing this bill pass with bipartisan support in both houses. And now, as you mentioned, uh, it, it will be called by uh, Governor Hochul. The first one is more people have become aware of this. This is not just the Humane Society of the United States focusing on this. There's many other groups. There's so many different stakeholders uh, that are highlighting this. So, uh, you know, concerned by the public as the public becomes more aware of these cash for wildlife competitions. Mm. I think another turning point was in 2020 when the HSUS released an undercover investigation of the state's largest wildlife killing contest, which occurs in Sullivan County, New York. Uh, very graphic, and our investigators found that the animals were thrown into dumpsters. Mm -hmm. um, and by getting this information out, I, I think also elected officials, uh, a lot of the legislators that I spoke with, their first reaction was, I can't believe this is allowed. And it is allowed. And I think those are the two main factors as to why we saw this finally move. Uh, I'm going into my 12th year as the state director, and this has always been uh, you know, on the plate as one of the bills that I've been working on. Can you kind of lay out what kind of contest this bill is targeting? Because I think there is some misinformation, some yeah. confusion that it's targeting hunting writ large, which it's very much not doing. So. Um, can you lay out what would be banned under this bill if it's signed? Excellent. So, yeah, this is not Sunday hunting with the family. This is not traditional hunting that many of us are accustomed to, those of us who come uh, from rural areas or have spent time in rural areas. The concept of a wildlife for cash competition or a killing contest is where contestants will register, put money into a pot, and then over a specific amount of time, it could be a two to three day period, kill the most, the heaviest, uh, even the smallest wildlife. Mm. Now, this could be a fox, it could be a woodchuck, it could be a coyote, uh, which are often uh, the most targeted uh, victims in these contests. And then at the end of the contest, the animals are either counted uh, or weighed and then discarded as so much trash. Uh, this is not a wise use of our uh, wildlife resources. This does not include bear, deer, or turkey, as these species are not included in what we know as wildlife killing contests. They are already highly regulated by the New York State Department of Environmental Conservation. There are regulations for reporting uh, the number of these animals that are taken within mm. the hunting seasons. So many of these animals that we see, they do not have bag limits, and one can hunt as many as possible. And that's why we see uh, so many of these animals used in these fringe competitions. This does not affect any bag limit or hunting season. Uh, this legislation, the focus is on one thing, and that is this, to stop the use of our shared natural resources, our wildlife resources, held in public trust for all the people of the state, simply for cash and prizes. That is the only thing it would do, and New York could be the ninth state to put this uh, prohibition in place. You know, there are some people that will be watching this right now and, and ask, why is this a bad thing? Why are these contests bad? Why should we ban them? What would you say to them? I, I would look at it from, uh, I would share a number of things. Uh, the first one, as I mentioned earlier, wildlife is held in public trust for all the people of the state. 
So when we hold uh, extreme competitions, who could see who could kill the most wildlife or the heaviest wildlife beyond the ecological impacts of that, uh, you know, that kind of flies in the face of the public trust doctrine. I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, having been in this field uh, for many years, I work very closely with a number of wildlife rehabilitators across the state. Now, when one is licensed by the state as a wildlife rehabilitator, someone who, uh, they are unsung heroes, people who will get called, I found an injured squirrel, I found an, an I injured I called one bird. two weeks ago about a bird in my yard and they gave me excellent advice. That individual, during their licensing process, was clearly told wildlife belongs to the state, the people of the state of New York, and cannot be kept and sold. So, you know, there is a precedent for that. And also, in New York does not allow bounties. You know, a state entity does, it, it's in our laws, our NCON laws, cannot offer uh, bounties. So, you know, these are a number of the reasons why there's a focus on this. And, you know, the other part of this is, honestly, the basic cruelty of this. To have contests where there is not a use, it's a wanton waste of these animals. Um, one contest in a Green County is referred to as the Crow Down. And we come across these contests. Um, they're not widely advertised. They're often in chat rooms. We find them online. People will send us posters. You know, for this particular crow down, money from the pot is being offered for animals, the poster says, dead or alive. Mm. So, you know, this, this is something that is not keeping with fair chase, the ethics and the norms of, of traditional hunting. And that's why we have strong support from members of the hunting community, wildlife rehabilitators, veterinarians, farmers, and the list goes on. Who are the people that will be enforcing these laws? As I hear you say about, um, you know, where you find these events, they might be yeah. organized in a Facebook group or through a text message chain. So yes. a lot of people just may not know that they're going on. How, who, who are the people who are going to be tasked with enforcing it? Are they local police? Is it the DEC? Excellent question. What we've seen in other states where this uh, bill has passed, this is not something where we have NCON police out like marching through the woods. Uh, we've seen when it is made, uh, when it's prohibited, the contests stop. Because this is, if someone wants to go out, and let's say there's a, a species, um, fox, coyotes, where there's no bag limit, within season, one can hunt, that is their tradition to hunt these animals according uh, to, to what the bag limit is. Yeah. Um, but as far as the contests themselves go, um, you know, they're, they're, they're taking these animals and th this is not a wise use of, of our shared resources. You know, some people who are opposed to this bill in the legislature when they were speaking on the floor really seem to single out coyotes specifically yeah. saying, well, if we can't hunt as many coyotes, then perhaps uh, they may um, kill more sheep or yeah. more chickens on people's property. And for some people, that's their livelihood. What would you say to those people? So, you know, th this is, these are emotional arguments. Right. And I understand until someone knows and understands this, you know, what uh, a lot of the contestants have been doing is saying this will end hunting, that there, that there is a, a slippery slope. Mm. Uh, but as far as predation goes, uh, according to the Department of Environmental Conservation, the random removal of coyotes will not decrease population numbers, 
it will not increase protection for livestock, and it will not increase deer densities. Additionally, the agency had said that the large-scale removal, if we're focusing on coyotes, will not reduce populations and is not warranted, and it is not practical. And just it's worth noting that the DEC uh, does not condone or sponsor these events. Right, this is a very narrow bill. And oftentimes when we have a narrow bill that's focused on something kind of cultural in the state, a cultural divide between upstate and downstate a lot of the time, politics really inserts itself into there. So while this bill will not directly impact most New Yorkers, it's, it's a political issue that makes people think that it's going to affect them more than it actually is. With that being said, it now heads to Governor Kathy Hochul. She's not up for re-election next year, mm -hmm. but every member of the legislature is and every member of Congress is as well, meaning that if people are mad at Democrats or Republicans next year, it might reflect that way in the polls. So as the governor is getting ready to make a decision on it, are you concerned at all that politics gets in the way of this? And she says, I don't want to do this. And yeah. behind the scenes, it's I don't want to do this because it might be bad for my party. You know, this this bill has gained bipartisan support uh, when this was, uh, you know, there's, there's all the different committees that any bill has to go through, went through NCON, went through codes. Um, in the Senate Environmental Conservation uh, Committee, uh, there wasn't debate. It, it just, yeah. it, it passed without any opposition. Uh, so far as, you know, the politics of this, we feel this is a popular piece of legislation. It has public support. The HSUS uh, partner organizations, such as uh, the, um, uh, the Adirondack Council, uh, Nash New York State Wildlife Rehabilitation, Rehabilitation Council, and, and other groups, we feel it's actually a popular piece of legislation and uh, that it is something the governor should look forward to signing and supporting as soon as possible. And it's a bill that we will certainly be watching in the next couple of months as the governor considers it. Brian Shapiro, New York State Director of the Humane Society of the United States, thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Dan. Hochul has until the end of the year to make a decision on that bill. We'll let you know when she does. But turning now to health insurance in New York. It's about this time every year that the state decides how much health insurance companies can increase their rates. This happens every year, like last year when the state approved an average increase of about 10%, which was about half of what they asked for. And this year, insurance companies are asking for a similar increase, but they say that's not their fault and point instead to the rising cost of healthcare in New York and across the country. At the same time, progressives in Albany are making a fresh push for a healthcare overhaul with a new version of the New York Health Act. That's a bill that would enact single-payer healthcare, meaning the state would take the place of insurance companies who are against the bill. And something we've never done is talk to the actual insurance companies about these issues and others before the legislature. So this week, we spoke with Eric Linzer from the New York Health Plan Association, which represents insurance companies in New York. Eric, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me, Dan. Of course. We don't really talk about health insurance that much on this show, so I'm thrilled to have you. I want to talk about a few bills that you were watching during, watching during the session this year that deal with your industry. One bill that I found really interesting, it would require drug manufacturers to give at least 60 days notice if they're going to raise the price of a drug more than 16%. So I don't really pay attention that much to the price of the medication that I pick up at the pharmacy because usually it's pretty close to what I 
bought it for the last time. How common is it for these drug manufacturers to change these prices so abruptly? Well, each year you see pretty significant price increases. This past year alone in January, manufacturers increased uh, the prices of drugs on about a thousand, a thousand different drugs, um, in some instances by more than double, double digits. Wow. Last year in, in tw uh, 2022, about 850 medications got increased, again, some by double digits. And these are pretty common drugs that treat uh, you know, can you know, cancer, hypertension, ADHD, you know, things that most individuals need. The real challenge with this is that while you know, these drugs may provide tremendous clinical benefits, they shouldn't be a blank check that consumers have, have to pick up the tab. Mm. And really what this would do would provide employers, consumers, health plans, and providers some advance notice that you can plan appropriately before you're dealing with a significant increase at the pharmacy counter. Would the bill deal with, um, would it allow any kind of state entity or anything like that to push back on that proposed price increase? Or is this just a, we're just giving you a heads up? This is, this is a notice requirement. Now back in uh, the 21 state budget, the state gave the Department of Financial Services the ability to investigate price increases on drug manufacturers over 50%, but it right. didn't require any kind of pre-notification. Uh, no this is a good consumer protection bill, giving them advance, you know, provide, requiring advance notice uh, is a good way to help consumers think about okay, what are my potential out-of-pocket costs? And you think about just several years ago when you saw increases for EpiPens, anybody who has a kid with a nut, nut allergy has three or four EpiPens. If the price go, goes up, you know, you want to at least have some advance notice to maybe, you know, uh, you know go out, you know, get, you know, update your prescription beforehand so you provide a little bit of cost certainty for yourself. Oh, yeah, especially when we're talking about things like, like allergies and things like that. Those are life-or-death things. Absolutely. It's not like my allergy medication that I maybe don't need sometimes, right. you know. And, you know, unfortunately, we've seen significant increases from pharmaceutical manufacturers. There needs to be some accountability for big, pharma, big pharma. You know, this is, you know, really providing some, you know, some notice. As I said, it's passed in a number of, of states. Our hope is that New York would follow suit and, and do something similar. So that kind of leads me to my next question for you about the cost of health care. You're going through something right now, not you individually, but your members are going through your requests every year from the Department of Financial Services rate hikes so that you can charge consumers more. Uh, you say that that's because the cost of healthcare is going up. Um, talk to me about what that looks like from your perspective. Where do we see those changes? Why why have a rate increase? Sure, so health insurance is expensive because healthcare is expensive. Yeah. And you know the underlying factors driving health insurance premiums are the cost that doctors, hospitals, and pharmaceutical manufacturers are charging for, for services, which we've seen significant increases over the last several years. In addition to that, New York's you know, particularly has particularly high health health insurance costs because of some of the the factors that have been decided around manda you know, mandated benefits, uh, as well as taxes that are imposed on on health insurance. Uh, about a uh, about six billion dollars a year gets imposed on the cost of health insurance to, uh, mm -hmm. through the uh, you know, through various taxes, fees, and assessments. That adds about a thousand dollars in the cost of of coverage to a a, a, a family policy. You know, what we're seeing this year is, you know, last year's rate increases were about uh, 8 to 8 to 9%. The rates that got put forward in May to the Department of Financial Services uh, were somewhere between 15 and 20%, depending upon, you know, where you are in the state, what type of coverage, whether it's individual or employer-sponsored coverage. And what that really reflects is those underlying costs. Over a five-year period from 2017 to 2021, we saw, uh, you know, nationally, we saw, Prices for healthcare services go up about 14 percent, 
New York, they went up about 18%. And it, there's no indication that there's been a slowdown in, in those costs. In fact, with inflation and other you know, cost pressures that providers and pharmaceutical manufacturers are putting on, uh, you know, th those costs are going up even higher. You know, why are they going up so much? 18% is not a small number. Do you have any indication? Is it just inflation? That's how bad inflation is, that it's trickling into the healthcare industry? Or are there other costs that are being well, borne? You know, some of it you know, will be factors I think we're seeing in other parts of the economy. Inflation certainly is, a, is affecting the, co the cost of healthcare, but there's also you know, push on by providers to increase that are charging high, higher prices for, uh, for the services. Same, same thing with pharmaceutical manufacturers. As I mentioned, you know, it started this year is seeing some manufacturers charge double-digit you know, pr uh, price increases for, for their drugs. That's you know, even higher than inflation. And really the question comes down to, you know, why are those costs you know, going up? That's part of the reason I think, you know, part of the reason some of the bills that we you know, advocated for this past session around transparency to help answer some of those questions. But at the same time, you know, health insurance premiums are inextricably linked. When healthcare costs go up, premiums ref reflect those costs. Do you see a realist, realistic scenario ever where healthcare costs could go down? So then maybe your members could request lower rates. I don't think that that may happen. Well, but. I, you know, I think there's you know certainly if if things were done to address underlying healthcare costs, I mean, you, you move beyond uh, you know, some of the bills we talked about around price transparency. But if you were to take some of the steps to address some of the uh, you know, challenges in the marketplace. You know, for example, there's legislation that we've, we've pushed for and we hope gets taken up next year that would address some of the anti-competitive contracting practices that yeah. hospitals undertake, you know, where they require things like you know, all, all or nothing provisions in their contracts so that where a health plan may want to contract with one particular facility, you, know, you have to take them all on. That adds to cost, that creates dysfunctions in the market. You know, those types of things, I think, would help to address some of the challenges in the market, deal with some of those you know, pricing pressures. We may not see a, a reduction in uh, premiums, but certainly if you deal with the underlying cost, that should uh, eventually be reflected in premiums. Some pr progressive lawmakers in Albany have been pushing for a number of years a bill called the New York Health Act, which they see as the solution to all these problems we've been talking about. This is a bill that would create single-payer health care in New York, so all of your members would disappear, you wouldn't exist anymore, and the state would be managing the health care system for everybody. <clears throat> Excuse me. So they have recently come out with a revised version of the New York Health Act, which they say addresses some concerns from retired public employees, saying basically, you will get your benefits as you were promised under this bill, uh, don't worry about it. Um, you have been against the bill, and I know you're against the revised version as well. Tell me why. Well, I mean, we believe that all New Yorkers deserve you know, um, high quality, affordable health care, but they also should have the power to choose the options that are that best meet their needs. What the New York Health Act does is moves 20 million New Yorkers into a one-size-fits-all government-run health care system uh, that's really an untested, that would be an untested uh, program. And it would lead to longer wait times for in, you know, individ, individuals um, and take options away from seniors. You know, you know that. You know that. All said, there are ways to get there. We've got you know, to get to universal coverage. We've got more than 95, 96 percent of New Yorkers who, who are covered. Um, you know, there are steps, including expanding the state's essential plan to enable those individuals who aren't able to, uh, you know, participate now because of their immigration status. That's something that we'd su you know, supported. We hope that you know, gets taken up in, you know, next year. Uh, and on your, your your point about the ch you know the changes to the New York Health Act and public retirees. Uh, this, the bill would actually require that you know public retirees to you know to pay you know a pretty significant uh, t you know, t uh, tax 
to help fund this thing. And for many of those individuals who are getting, you know, the, you know, their their co you know coverage for free right now, that would be an increase. So it really you know, actually adversely affects a lot of public re retirees, in addition to many, many mil millions of New Yorkers. It has been talked about before that the jobs that would be lost from your members um, could be kind of uh, changed in a way where the state oversees the program, but insurance companies administer it. So it would be kind of a state-run program administered by your members. I I've heard that talked about before. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, you know, you're still dealing with a one-size-fits-all government-run program. It's, you know, that takes options and choices away from individuals. And on the job loss, while about a third of that 161,000 would come from the insurance industry, you know, the re remainder of that would come from other areas that were somewhat resistant to the economic downturn as a result of the you know the pandemic you know finance you know finance and and other industries you know being some of them you know so you're still talking about a pretty significant job loss as a result of the New York Health Act it's really the wrong prescription really I think what New Yorkers want is for policymakers to focus on what's working fix fix what's not uh, and be able and you know, we think that taking the steps around expanding coverage particularly uh, for those individuals who can't access it today. You know, individuals who are, are shut out because of their immigration status is really the last big you know, batch of individuals to get us to universal coverage. That's a better approach than upending the system for 20 million New Yorkers. All right. It's something that we will be watching. I'm curious to see if the new health chair in the assembly makes a much major push for it next year with the Senate health chair. Um, it's something we've been talking about for a few years now, and it doesn't seem to have made a lot of progress, but I think some lawmakers see an opportunity in the years ahead. So we will be watching that. Eric Linzer, president and CEO of the New York Health Plan Association, thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Dan. And as we mentioned, the state is currently considering new rate hikes for health insurance. We'll let you know what they decide when that happens. For more from us, head to our website. That's where you can sign up for our newsletter and find more coverage from across the state. That does it for this week. Thanks for watching this week's New York Now. Have a great week and be well. Funding for New York Now is provided by WNET.